You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. How you guys doing tonight? Good. Good. I'm just, uh, let me say, I'm, I'm so encouraged uh, to be with you guys. I, I, I've kind of been secretly interviewing myself. Uh, not, not, not for a staff position. I've just been interviewing to be an official brother, friend of the West Side. How am I doing? Can I be a friend of the West Side? Okay. That's right. That's, that's what I want to be. Uh, it, I, you guys are so blessed to have Ken and uh, just what he's bringing, the, the openness, the, the Berean challenge to go and study the, the scriptures and see to it that you know, what you're hearing is true. And I, I realized when I was a young Christian... 150 years ago, I, I didn't realize that probably within the first three months of being a Christian, lenses were already put over my eyes of how to see the scriptures, how to see the rest of the world, how to see the church, how to see religion. Lenses I didn't even know were there until 20 years later. So it's, just, it's so good to, to be humble and invite others in to give their perspective and to uh, not just throw your convictions out, but to really take off those lenses and say, let me take a look at the scriptures with fresh eyes in a new way, not just unconsciously leaning on maybe what I heard when I really wasn't paying that much attention. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, as, as I said earlier, it's, it's great to be together. I've got uh, so much material. I'm really looking forward to seeing what God has to say tonight. I've got like 36 hours uh, to get across in 45 minutes. And so I'm not going to talk fast. We're just going to see what we can get across, and uh, let God do the rest. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So this whole theme, oh, let me say, so this is my contact information. Really want to encourage you, if you um, have been encouraged at all, uh, inspired at all by our time together, please shoot me a text. And since I don't have you in my context, let me know who you are, you know, when you text to me. But anything that's been of encouragement or an inspiration or any difference that it's making in your life, that's encouraging for me to know and uh, sometimes to be able to pass on to others to give them just a little bit more faith to move in this direction. Of course, that's my email address and my website. I know it does look a little Byron-centric there, but hey, I got it before the next Byron did, okay? <laughs> oh, now, before I forget also, uh, let me get my camera here. We have to take a selfie. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my, this is a big group. That's a big group. Okay, I know. On a selfie stick. On three. One, two, three. All right, one more. One, two, three. This is the worst ever. Okay, let me see if I got, if I got anything at all. Let me see. I did. That's fantastic. Okay, thanks for indulging me. <laughs> That's great. One of the um, kind of metaphors, examples of what I'm trying to get across, and if you've ever studied the Holy Spirit, you know this is a primer. This is the overview of overviews. We could spend the rest of our lives uh, really looking into His work and His ways and His mission and His purposes. Uh, but as I said in the first week, part of this, this overview and this primer is based on my experience in our fellowship as a brother among you for the last 36 years. 
And some of the things that I thought would be necessary, some of the assumptions we have to challenge and some of the scriptures we have to examine in a different way in order for us to move from where we've been to a fresh and, I dare say, more accurate look at the scriptures and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So this is not at all comprehensive, but I think it takes us where we've been forward in a meaningful way. So I had, um, I kind of use this example. When Lori and I were dating, you know, before we were engaged, I wrote her this poem. And uh, I'm going to share this poem with you because it has a lot to do with our view of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so go back when, uh, when my hairline was a little further down, a little fuller in the back, about 100 pounds ago. So this poem is called The Lovely One. Awake and arise, give ear, my son, I have fashioned for you a lovely one. Tis a dream, cannot be for your unworthy son, surely I merit no lovely one. Tis true that you boast no great deed, yet I by grace have met your need. This lovely one of whom you speak, what shall I bring when her face I seek? The lovely one is very wise, she will seek devotion in your eyes. Tis a dream, cannot be, I've earned no favor, that he for me, a lovely one to save her? Tis true that you with faults made of, I freely offer this chance at love. This lovely one of whom you speak, is she warm and kind and gentle and meek? The lovely one is so much more, a graceful doe to be adored. This lovely one of whom you speak, so warm and kind and gentle and meek, has she a continent fair and sweet that's captured all she's chanced to meet? I've seen, I know this lovely one of whom you've spoken to your son. There is but one, she is the same, and Laurie Goldsby is her name. So that's, that's why I wrote her we were dating. I think it worked. And, and, I, and I share that to say that was written and eventually framed, and she had it, but then we went on to not just date, but to get engaged. And not just get engaged, but get married. And of course, you know, when you're married, then you live together. And could you imagine if over the, it'll be 31 years that we've been married on August 15th. Could you imagine if over these 31 years, I come home from work, I come home from hanging out with the guys, I come home from whatever, and the door closes and there's no response from her. She just has this framed poem in her hands. And she's walking through the living room, reading this poem. I'm in the kitchen. She's walking through the bedroom, reading this poem. I'm in the kitchen. She's in the laundry area, reading this poem, quoting verses from this poem, tearing up over this poem. But I'm in the kitchen. That's a lot like many of our relationships with the Bible. God is in the kitchen, and we're stuck on his love letter to us. He's in us and with us, longing to have his communication heard and responded to. But we're in the living room, and all we can see is the love letter. Does that work for you? To some degree, you may have to sit on that a little bit. Because he is certainly the author of the scriptures. But remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5. You diligently study the scriptures. 
because you think that by them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that speak of me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Right? So that if, if nothing else, you don't have to be a grammarian or a scholar to realize that Jesus makes a distinction between coming to the scriptures, reading and studying the scriptures, and coming to him. Having a relationship with the scriptures and having a relationship with him. Being devoted to the scriptures and being devoted to him. They're not mutually exclusive circles, but they're not the same thing. And that, that should be good news for us. That means for whatever we've been doing, wherever we've been, there's a whole open vista. There's a whole universe available to us of growth and intimacy with God and experiencing what we read in the scriptures that we've never experienced before. Or maybe we marginally experienced it, but chalked it off as, as luck or chance or just a good day instead of the intervention of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right. Okay. How are we doing? Is this too heavy? Too soon? Too much? <laughs> okay. So how's the Holy Spirit going to do what He does? Here we read in John 16, verse 13, But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Amen? Amen. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part of my heart, you will make me know wisdom. Psalm 5. As powerful as the Holy Spirit is, he doesn't take over and make us do things against our will. Sometimes people are afraid of that. We start looking at the Holy Spirit. When I was a young boy and went to my sister's church, uh, people were taken over. And I was scared. I mean... A lot of stuff happened that scared me, and, it, and it, it, it colored my impression of the Holy Spirit to a point of, well, whoever the Holy Spirit is and whatever He does, I don't want none of that. Now, the truth is, I still don't want none of that, but I do want the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, so He prompts. He reveals. He disturbs. He delights. He guides. But at the end of the day, you've, you have to make a choice to embrace his communication. He is not going to force himself on you. Okay, so that's where I, I love the, the, the language of that still small voice. Because if God spoke in all of his glory, first we'd be dead, right? Yeah. I, but then there'd be no choice. We'd be so overwhelmed, so compelled. What doesn't the Bible say? You know, my word does not leave and return to me without accomplishing the purpose for which I sent it. If God sent his word to us in all of its power, we would be robots. We'd have no choice but to respond. But in that still small voice that we have to quiet ourselves and still our hearts and wean our hearts as the psalmist talks about and, and hear the impression that we can't say this is book, chapter, and verse, God speaking. We still have some choice of heeding what he says and trusting and living by faith as opposed to just a thunderous voice that we had no option in, like all of nature, we're just compelled to obey. So God has made kind of a covenant, if you notice that, that we have free will. And he is not going to break that covenant. 
Amen? So, truth. But there's something about truth. Did we talk about this the first week? That, that seeming contrast in John where it says, Jesus came with grace and truth. Often in my history, saying that Jesus came with grace and truth meant that he, he was gracious to us and, and kind and loving. But he also had that truth side to him. You know what I'm saying? But he could just let you know where you stand and what your sin is and convict you. And that was kind of what's thought of that dichotomy. Grace was the kind, loving forgiveness. And truth was, we're going to get down to business about what's really going on in your sinful life. But if you take some time and be a great Berean, as I know you will, and study through all the accounts in the scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus says, either truly I tell you or I tell you the truth. You will find that like 95, 98% of the time, the truth that Jesus is and is revealing is about the love of God. It's about the nature of the kingdom. It's about what God has promised us. It's not about him bringing some soul to some quibbling uh, conviction about their sinfulness. And that, that, that'll change everything. When you think the truth will set you free, it's not the truth about your sin that sets you free. It's the truth about God, God's love. It's the truth about His promises. It's the truth that is the reality of Jesus that sets us free. If you get nothing else out of these four weeks, please take that, study that out, and let God bring a great uh, conviction to your heart. That the truth that Jesus came to bring was not an uber law. It wasn't a super law to bring conviction and guilt in a way that the law failed to be able to bring. And so when the, the psalm says, you want truth in my inmost being. You want, you want the truth of God's love in his nature. You want him in my inmost being. Not this thorough understanding of just every sin and infraction in my life. Is that possible game changer? Okay. Excellent. That was more than two minutes on this slide. Okay, but but that's okay. Spirit-led life. So in, in observing and putting together in an illustrative way how I've seen the Spirit lead myself, others examining the Scriptures, if there was a a cycle or a, an approach. And of course, the Holy Spirit is not a program, right? right. You know, not, not a four-step or anything like that. But here's what I've observed kind of happens with people as they engage with the Holy Spirit to, to, for the purposes of living a Spirit-led life. First, you have to examine your faith. Okay, where am I really? We talked a couple weeks ago about the, the measure of I brought visitors or I had a long quiet time or I studied the Bible with someone over the last year who became a Christian. And what are the measures that my, my faith is right? What are the measures that I'm walking with God? I'm being led by the Spirit. Two great measures are joy unspeakable and peace that passes understanding. When you have joy overflowing, that's hard for you to even explain and peace throughout the tumultuous moments of your day and week, that's a good measure that your heart is rooted in God and you're following the Spirit. If you're guilted out all the time, if you're anxious all the time, if you're worried all the time, don't add guilt to that, but let it be a barometer that says, oh, okay, I need to change my attention 
and where I'm giving my conscious thought to and make sure that it's accurately placed on God. Okay, so that's what we mean by examine your faith, not try to bring more guilt, but where am I really? And let those two joy and peace be great barometers for you. Cultivate acceptance. I know if you guys had to to wrestle through neutrality, you're going to really have to wrestle through acceptance. Right. But if you look at the life of Jesus, he did this in a marvelous way. There was so much crime. There were people who wanted to throw over, over the Romans. There was poverty. There were homelessness. There was disease. There was leprosy. There was fraud. There was political scandal. All those things. But you never see Jesus commenting on those things wow. in the scriptures. You think about it, it's bad in our day. It was bad in his day. But there was a holy acceptance that Jesus had. Almost a how could it be otherwise if people are estranged from the Father? How could it be otherwise if they're not filled with the Spirit? How could it be otherwise if they're not devoted? And so there's a, there's a certain sense of acceptance that is going to be a part of your process of quieting, focusing, preparing your heart and your mind and your soul to be able to be led by God. Then there's focusing on the truth, what we just talked about before, the truth that Jesus came to reveal about himself, about the Father, and the nature of the kingdom that he was bringing. Shifting our perspective. We're going to talk about that in a little greater detail tonight uh, in a way that I think you're going to find very refreshing. Embracing your identity. Remember, two of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing is one, he's revealing to us the true nature of God because we've had distorted images of God. Yeah. Everything from, you know, he, he's dismissive or he's uh, punitive or he just despises me to uh, he's indifferent, come see, come saw, or all the way up to he's merciful and loving and has gone before me and prepared the way. So the Holy Spirit is the one. We can't just logically conclude this stuff. God is revealed not logically concluded. Okay? Pray believing that we already have what we asked for in prayer. And then you're in a position to actually listen and in a heart where you're, you know, you're, you're set up to actually do what God has to say. Right? Because without these prior things, we're, we might be afraid of what God would say if we did hear Him. Yeah, I had a sister, bless her heart, for being really open and honest. She says, I'm afraid of just really having God communicate to me because what if he tells me to kill my children? And then I have to start a prison ministry. And then this, this whole scenario is created. <laughs> and it, it sounds extreme, but she was speaking for so many people. If you have an erroneous view of God, you can think that God's going to have you go shoot up the high school. Or God is going to have you go, you know, offer up your husband in the middle of the night, you know. (laughs) And so if you don't get quiet and look at the truth, not the news, the truth, you're not really going to, you know, you know, it's like if you you live with someone and you hear that, you know, honey, we need to talk. Oh, no, we don't need to talk, do we? I don't want to talk. You just already have that we need to talk means I did something wrong. She's not happy with something. He's not happy with something. We don't want to have that with God because we need to talk. I don't want to talk. 
When God says, let's talk, you're like, hey, I, I got to go. I, I, I got to get off of Facebook. I, I've got to get, because God wants to talk to me. Good things happen when God wants to talk to me. Okay, so examine your faith. Some scriptures to keep in mind. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Here's 2 Corinthians 13.5. So we're, we're encouraged to examine our faith. Passage we looked at before. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. That's what I mean by cultivating acceptance of just... Being still, God's got this. He's powerful. It's not like God against Satan. It's Satan against, you know, heavenly beings that are on God's side. But if God jumped in, it, it would be over. And a day is going to come where God's going to jump in and it's just going to be over. As a matter of fact, it says when Satan is finally deposed and sent to the lake of fire, people will say, was that him? Was that was that the one who caused all this trouble? And you say, you know who's going to do it? One angel. The Bible says one angel was discharged and took care of Satan. So when you start thinking of the heavenly realms, the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, don't be afraid of demons. The greater are with us than are with the world. Amen? Okay, Isaiah 30, verse 15. Then shifting your perspective, I'm sorry, focusing on the truth. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's familiar to us, right? But now we may have a different view of the truth that's setting us free. Now the truth that's setting us free is not just being open about all of our immorality and the money that we stole and the ugly words that we said. No, that's not the truth that's setting us free. It's the love of God that's setting us free. Shifting our perspective. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. So you, you can't really be in a position to see the kingdom and see the king and hear the king looking at things from a worldly point of view. Man, there's so much to this. You, you guys know Isaiah 58 that passage on, on fasting? You know, what is true fasting? There's so much truth to this because we think, well, I don't know if God's going to speak to me or does God speak to me or can I hear, does God act, you know, are, are we still just secessionists? Do we have the Bible and, and God wound up the universe and walked away? But when you look at the scriptures, when you look at Isaiah 58, he says, you know, when you spend yourself on behalf of the poor, and on justice, and not just denying yourself, but taking care of the poor and the widow, then your light will shine like the dawn. I think mean, that's the life, that's the perspective of the Christian life that God has always wanted from us. But here we are in the west side of L.A. That's so different than the culture that surrounds us. But you know what surrounds the culture? That surrounds us? God? We live in a God-saturated world. But we never see it if we're looking from a worldly point of view. There is, for every crime, for every person shot, 
there are a billion acts of kindness. For every house that's robbed, there are 10 billion gifts offered for birthdays and anniversaries and quinceaneras and all kinds of things like that. But if you only look at the negative, the news, you would think the whole world was just a disaster. But there's billions and billions times good that goes on than the evil. We can't look at things the way we used to. Embrace your identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. We're new creations, right? Created to do the good works that God prepared in advance for us. If you create something to do good works, is it evil? Is it fundamentally bad? Do you have to hold it accountable every minute or some evil is going to break out? No. I'd say I had a roommate one time when I was in my middle 20s. Good-hearted guy. And he's like, Byron, okay, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to clean my clock. I just want you to just... Just have at it. Just, you know, tear me down. I'm like, bro, I am not going to do that. He thought he was having a good heart, just being totally open to any devastating thing. Bro, we're not transformed by devastation. God draws us with cords of loving kindness. Not with a thread of a shoe thrown across the room. But you know, if you're honest, we sometimes from our early days and just our families of origin and our cultures of origin and sometimes our churches of origin, we are just conditioned to just think, man, only bad can come from me unless you call me up and hold me accountable. Okay. There's Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's some faith right there, right? That's believing in a good God who's thought about you before the creation of the world and has prepared for you in this world. And then lastly, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Boy, if there ever was a passage for walk this way, the spirit-led life, isn't it this one? My sheep listen to my voice. They know, I know them. I love the passage, you know. It's, it's not so much that you, you know God, but that God knows you. And they follow me. They are responsive to me even as I am responsive to them. Okay, so we're going to look a a bit at number four, shifting your perspective. Okay, have you seen this before? I I love this. It's so uh, great, an illustration of when you only see part of something, you kind of draw a conclusion that isn't right. So you've got to back up and see the whole before you can really know what you're dealing with. So in the back, if you could tell... (coughs) The little scientist that sees the tail of the elephant thinks it's a rope. Who sees the leg of the elephant thinks it's a tree. Who sees the trunk thinks it's a snake. The uh, tusk thinks it's a spear. 
And the elephant, they think it's a fan. Or the, the ear, they think it's a fan. Isn't that so true with us? We take one experience of God and we generalize. This is how God is. This is how life is. This is how Italian peoples are. You know, we just, we generalize. And through the Holy Spirit, we have a chance to, to back up and let some time elapse and see the whole picture. That's why it's really great. It's great to meditate on one verse of a sentence in the scripture, but it's equally better to read the whole book and get the whole context of what's being said. Okay. So our perspective is crucial to what we actually see. Let me back up for a second. You guys ever heard of the uh, reticular activating system? Yeah, it's, amen, three of them, great. So, you know, your, your brain processes information in a, in a very sequential way. It, it happens quickly, it's six times a second, but it's very sequential. So your, your, your body and your sense organs will have, you know, input coming in, and it kind of comes to your thalamus and your, your basal ganglia. And that's kind of like, okay, what are we going to let in? So there's maybe, I don't know, 60 million bits of information per second that your sense, senses are picking up. Your mind can only consciously process 130 bits, period. So you've got this flood of information, but you can only process consciously so much. So there's a part of your brain at the very beginning that says, what's going to get in and what, what are we not even going to pay attention to? Is this relevant to me? You know, it's like when you buy a car of a certain model, then all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. That's part of the process of now, now that it's important to you, now that input comes in and you're conscious of it. But if it's not personally relevant to you, you literally can be blind to it and it could be right in front of you, won't even register. Okay. So that, that's how important, uh, our value system is and being able to not be stuck. So let me, well, so you got your, your thalassima, your, your basal ganglia. Then you go up to your amygdala. That's kind of the security. Is this dangerous? Is this scary? If it's dangerous and scary, it never gets up to the higher processing parts of your brain. You're just dealing with fight, flight, freeze, and, you know, that's it. But if it's not dangerous, then it can move up to the, uh, the, the, the cingulate in your, the middle part of your brain. And that's where your relational skills are, uh, your relational circuits. You guys heard of relational circuits yeah. in the brain? Yeah. If they're off, you can do nearly nothing. I mean, it's, it's like a drowning person. If their mother came out to save them, would dunk their mother and stand on top of them in order to get to safety. Because when you're in that form of, of threat, and all your relationship circuits are off. You, you, you are not a relational person at all anymore. Mom is not personal. I just need to stand on your shoulders for a while <laughs> while you drown and I can get to. So then a- after, is it relevant to me? Does this make sense? Do I have any uh, reference with that? Then it can move into your prefrontal cortex. And that's where, you, you know, you start doing some more executive processing. But all this is on the right hemisphere of your brain. There's no language involved. It's only after you go through all those four stages that it goes over to the left side of your brain where you start putting meaning and conviction and cognitive explanations behind all these sensory things that you have. I'm, that's too much, right? Okay. So, but anyway, 
We, we need to be at peace and we need to be settled and we need to be safe even to process things on a normal basis. If you had any kind of trauma of what you should have had but didn't have or had but shouldn't have had, yeah, there's a lot of things that will be stuck at that amygdala level that you never get to processing. That's another 30 classes. Okay, anyway. Oh, wrong way. So, when it comes to perspective um, and agreements, these are kind of some fun ways of looking at perspectives that kind of group ways that we've looked at things because of erroneous views of God and er erroneous views of ourselves that really put a lens over us seeing things accurately. So, what do you think the top left, what would that recommend? What does that look like? That's the victim, right? That's like the man is always trying to hold homie down. You know, it's, it's the government. It's the other party. It's the, it's my boss. It's the guy down the street. There's always some external reason keeping me from being able to do the things that I need to do to function properly, to move forward and happily in life. And there's a lot of reasons we can come to that, but as long as you're coming from a victim's perspective, you can't see the scriptures accurately the way God intends. You won't hear the spirit as God intends. Then you've got the king. The king is just like, why don't people just do what I say? Yeah, I had some of that. Those who know me might say, you still have some of that. But it's just that, that sense of, if my kids would just do what I say, things would be fine. If my the, the students in my class, if they would just do what I say, if my neighbors would just do what I say, if my boss would listen to my idea and let me pitch this thing, if and there's this frustration and angst. But, you know, we're not the victim. And we're not the king, certainly not in a worldly way. And then you've got the judge. This is that part where we've experienced life in a way where we're always comparing ourselves to someone else. You know, she's prettier than I am, but I think I'm faster than her. He's smarter than me, but I think I got more money than she does. And we're just, every time you walk in a room, you're just kind of measuring, judging. I think I could take her, but I'm not sure I could take him. She looks tough. You know, there's just always this judgment. So you're always either inadequate or falsely built up. And God's trying to knock on the door. You are here. I stand at the door and we're busy. Wait a minute. I'm still comparing. Then you've got this Joan of Arc character over here. That's the martyr. Oh, I had this. I majored in martyr. The martyr will find a reason to go without in a land of plenty. The martyr just kind of feels like there's something inherently spiritually valuable about not having, about suffering, about being in pain. You know, Jesus says, no, no greater love has a man to lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus said, you're laying down your life for a friend, not just laying down your life. And the martyrs just always look for a situation, lay down their life. Can I lay it down here? Can I lay it down here? And, you know, I didn't come up with this out of a vacuum. I'm a child of the 60s. I was born in 1960. By the time I was eight, on my eighth birthday, is when Martin Luther King Jr. was, was assassinated. And you look at the 60s, Gandhi was assassinated a little bit earlier than that. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Malcolm X was assassinated. If you wanted to do good, you were going to eat some lead. 
That was my conclusion. And then in the early 70s, we had the Vietnam War pumped into our television. I'm seeing guys dragged in body bags on the 6 o'clock news. I mean, it, I was just saturated. And my erroneous conclusion was, if you want to do good, expect to live a short, painful life. Now, what happens with your reticular activating system when your expectation is a short, painful life? Then all you can see is short, painful things. And the good that's right in front of you, can't even see. It's not part of your value system. And so I'm like, why, why do I keep getting into all this difficult trouble? And I'm, I'm overcoming, but why do I have to keep overcoming? Because the lens through which I was looking at, the perspective that I had, was so off. Remember one time Roger Lamb told me, you know, Byron, um, people who don't have food are not going to have food just because you're unhappy. (laughs) Food is not going to materialize on their plate because you're unhappy. That's kind of true. Okay, so in our religious world, It's not very difficult to land on being a martyr and just think, if I even enjoy myself, if I progress in life, if I get a raise, if I start a business, somehow I'm innately worldly and it's wrong and I should be suffering and doing without because people somewhere else in the world are doing without, so I should be doing without too. And I love what Paul says, I could wish that I were accursed and called off for the sake of my brethren. Why do you say I could? Because God doesn't work that way. God does not curse one to bless the other. Not of his children. Okay. I better keep moving. Okay. Then there's the princess. Very shortly, this individual doesn't want to work for anything, but deserves everything. I want what you have, but I'm not getting off the couch. And then lastly is the saboteur. You see this guy shooting himself in the foot? And this is a mindset where you have an estimation of yourself and what you're worthy of. And if you have less than what you're worthy of, then you're motivated to go to school, to get educated, go on YouTube, learn a skill, get a job, and and make money up to the point of what you think you're worthy of. But heaven forbid you should receive more than what you think you're worthy of. Then you're going to self-sabotage. You're going to lose that job. You're going to crash that car. You're going to wreck that relationship until you get back down to what you think is commensurate with who you are. And if you're a martyr, it ain't much. Okay? Okay. Our point of view. What I learned was I could not get to where God wanted me to be from any of these points. You just can't get there from here. I needed the perspective that I am a child of God. I'm not a victim. Even though if you look at my demographic, there's a lot of people claiming victim with this demographic. But I'm not a victim. I'm not the king, not in the sort of way that we think. Nor the judge, nor the martyr, nor the princess, or the saboteur. But I am a cherished child of God. That's the second thing. If you get only two things now out of all four weeks, the second one is that you are fundamentally at the core 
a cherished child of God. Not a sinner. A cherished child of God. Not a slave. A cherished, delighted in, sung over, apple of the eye, child of God. So, look at what John says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we shall be called children of God, and that is what we are. Beautiful. Okay. Child of God. You may be young. Technon. I'm writing to you, dear children. Technon, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. That's just babes in Christ. Some of you Greek scholars have to help me with the pronunciation here. I don't know. Um, Dink, you know how to say that? Okay. Okay. Uh, we're going with uh, Neoniskoi tonight. Okay, I don't know how it's said, but this is what we're saying tonight. I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. That's representing a, a greater maturity in Christ. Pateras, I'm writing to you fathers because you have known, and that's genosco. That's not just the intellectual knowledge. That's the experiential. Now, you've experienced God. That's the kind of knowledge you have of him who is from the beginning. And so we're all going to be at different levels of maturation when it comes to where we stand with God. Equally loved, but we're growing. And that's out of 1 John 2.12. So let's, let's bring it on home. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Is there any other passage that would make you want to be led by the Spirit other than this one? That's a powerful equivalent, isn't it? Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That hayos, son, that's a legal term, means you have a right to the Father's inheritance. That means you, you, it's a sonship. You're legally made a son. You ever think about that? We, have, we are heirs of the universe. We will judge angels. We will sit on thrones. The Bible says that God has made us into kings and priests. Now, the King James Version will says God has made us into a kingdom and priests. If I was King James, I'd say kingdom too. I wouldn't want people thinking that they're kings when I'm the king of England. But you look at the Greek word, there are two different words for king and kingdom. This is the one for king. God has made us into kings and priests. So what does this really mean out of Galatians 4? What I'm saying that as long as an heir is under age, is immature, is technon, is one of those less mature stages of being a child of God. He is no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. So also, when we were under age, spiritually, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That legal status as God's sons, 
and heirs of the whole estate. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Notice that's H-E-I-R, not E-R-R-O-R. Okay. Big difference. Okay. So this really wraps up in, in a meaningful way this primer to being led by the Spirit and what His work is going to be in our lives. By the truth that Jesus came to reveal, He is going to take the blinders off and the lenses off and allow us to see our loving God as He truly is. And we have a measure of we see that when we have joy unspeakable and peace that passes understanding, at least we know we're probably on track. When we're nervous in the service and anxious and guilt-ridden and unsure, then we, at least we know I need to shift my attention out of whatever perspective is creating that, whether I'm, I'm the judge frustrated that I don't measure up or the king that people aren't doing what I'm saying or I'm the martyr losing something else that's valuable to me. We know I need to shift out of that false identity and embrace fully the cherished child of God that I am. So, walk this way, the Spirit-led life. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into the truth about God. Let Him lead you into the truth about who you are, and together, the truth about what God wants to do with you and through you. Ultimately, as the Scriptures teach, through the church, God is going to teach a lesson to the rulers, powers, and authorities in the heavenly realm. You are the church. There is something God wants those who are in the unseen realm to understand about Him that they don't by looking at your faithfulness, your love, your attention to one another, and your partnership with God in His great adventure of redemption of the world. God bless you. God keep you. It's been a joy to be with you. Glad to be a friend of the West Side. Amen. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Oh, I got to hold this. Okay, here we go. And here's the button. Here's the button. Where's the button? Okay, okay. Here we go. Is that out there far enough? All right. Wow, that's one, two, three. And the other. One, two, three. And all the way in the back. There we go. One, two. Oh, God, got to get me. One, two, three. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.